everybody to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. Today we will be recapping the fourth episode of Loki, the Disney Plus show. We'll also be talking a little bit about Rick and Morty. Not a big episode to, to, to break down, but I'll be bringing it up briefly at the end. But we'll definitely be starting with Loki this week. That's the most interesting topic. The episode name is The Nexus Event. Before we get into it, make sure you subscribe so you know when we have new episodes available. Uh, we are currently recapping Evil on Paramount+. Plus. If you've been listening to those episodes, there is one. We just dropped one earlier this week, and there will be another one after the weekend. And we'll probably be loosening up the format on that episode, by the way. So we will definitely continue to recap Evil, but we will be using that time to discuss other things we may have been watching also. And of course, we still have more music episodes coming. Finally, that episode I promised last week about the music of 1971, based on the Apple Plus documentary, 1971, the year that music changed everything. Actually, I haven't finished the series yet, but I'm most of the way through it, and uh, it has better episodes than others, but it is very, very interesting, and I always find it very interesting to see uh, some kind of historic documentary that sees history through a particular prism, because I think sometimes when you drill deeply into one particular aspect of a time period, you can see a lot more through that one prism. It does a better job sometimes, worse job other times. But undeniably, 1971 had a lot of really great music, and we will be delving into the documentary itself, but also the music of 1971. We just passed the 50th anniversary of What's Going On and also of Joni Mitchell's Blue, just two canonical records that had huge cultural impact that came out within weeks of each other. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many more. Whether you like glam rock, for example, you had T-Rex and David Bowie dropping an album that same year. You see the beginnings of punk with... Iggy Pop, Lou Reed's solo album's about to come out. You have heavy metal emerging, whether it's Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. You have Yes putting out their first record, if you like prog rock. And then, like I mentioned before, all those folk singers. And Elton John is putting out records. And the all of the Beatles are putting out records that same year. Plus, incredible amount of great R&B, whether it's Aretha Franklin. And, of course, What's Going On, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, which is definitely one of the greatest albums ever released. So all that is to say, a lot of great music in that year. And we will be touching on some of them in this next episode and probably continue the conversation even going forward beyond that. So make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when all that is available to you. Okay, let's get into the Loki episode itself. I'll let you know when I get into deep spoilers, but I'll just start at a very high level. The episode is called The Nexus Event. We are now in the fourth episode of the series of six, so there'll be two more. And unlike last week, which I was slightly disappointed with last week's episode, which was a little slow, and I, I guess the point of it now is to have developed this relationship between the two Lokis. I don't completely buy everything there. I don't think it was perfect at that, although it was an attempt. But it does set things up this week, and this is a very efficient episode. Once again, we get a lot of plot, but that's okay because we're in a point in the series where we need to start solving or resolving these plot points. And boy, do they cover a lot of ground here. So I'll just give you my very high-level impressions before we get into spoilers. I really did enjoy the episode. It was very entertaining. And there is actually moments here between the two Lokis where I buy their chemistry, I buy their kismet, this connection they have, more than I had in all the time they spent together last week. So we hit the ground running in this episode, and we begin with a flashback of Sophie being abducted from her original timeline back in Asgard. And this is a really interesting scene because we find out that she was abducted as a child when she was very young. So it's curious, once again, to think that 
was she so troubling at such an early age that they basically had to extract her from the timeline that early on? What could have possibly been on her resume that would have raised their alert so early on? But it is sad that she basically lost her childhood, never really knew her her family. And, you know, she's been alive for so long now in this in-between timeless uh, world that she barely remembers her childhood at all. But she still has some slight memories. Uh, And I'll just mention that, you know, obviously they escape from the planet and then they go off to uh, an adventure back at the TVA. And I'll leave how they escape to the spoilers, even though it happens in the first scene or two, so it's really not a spoiler. But we'll just leave it at the fact that they really have increased the complexity of whatever this mystery is of what's happening in the TVA. It's become more complicated here, and they may even be adding layers to this. And I'm very interested. And I'm, if anything, I'm just a little concerned now that especially after having an episode last week where they didn't cover so much ground, that they'll be able to tie things up now because they only have two episodes left and they have expanded the mythology and the mystery here even more in this episode. So I'm very curious. I really like the episode, but I'm a little wary of how much they can accomplish in the next two episodes. So that's my spoiler free. Uh, If you haven't watched it yet, please do watch it and then come back for the rest. You've been warned. I'm going to go full spoilers now. I'm sorry. I remember Asgard. Not much, but I remember my home, my people, my life. The universe wants to break free, so it manifests chaos. Like me being born the goddess of mischief. And as soon as that created a big enough detour from the sacred timeline, the TVA showed up, erased my reality, took me prisoner. I was just a child. I escaped. Stole a tempad and I ran for a long, long time, which really sucked. Everywhere and everywhere I went, I caused a Nexus event, sent up a smoke flare. Because I'm not supposed to exist. Until eventually I figured out where to hide. And so that's where I grew up. The ends of a thousand worlds. A very good scene between the two actors here. And at that moment, we see back at the TVA, they're tracking, just as we suspected last week, by the way, my theory that uh, the TVA is going to have to come in and intercede to get them out of this situation. It's like a no-win situation for them. And that's exactly what happens. They're looking at the timeline. They're looking, they've like basically tuned up all of the discrepancies they're looking for in the timeline for any little blip because they can't find them anywhere and they're looking for any tiny little variation and suddenly there is a massive spike on the timeline and basically that bonding that they had on the planet just as it's being destroyed some beautiful visuals here right of the planet being destroyed by the way and that spike i would believe infer based on what we see later on is that loki has fallen in love with this variant of himself (laughs) so two variants falling in love with each other but uh or at least on loki's side but perhaps on both sides, considering the size of that spike. And I assume we're seeing that giant spike that we're seeing in the timeline, that they basically say they've never seen a spike like this before. It could derail the entire timeline, uh, you know, even based on uh, the observers who see it. Uh, Is this event, is the event of the bonding of these two variants to each other, which would be pretty impressive for the MCU in general, that you're creating this this thing that could derail, but basically derail all of time, (laughs) this bond that these two have created to, with each other. Oh, one more point that I may have not touched on or I did not touch on 
is that in the flashback to when Sophie was abducted, we find that Ravona was the one who was her captor and also the one who let her escape. She basically stole her portal device and that's how she escaped Ravona when she was probably just a, a guard at the time or a hunter, I guess, as they call them. A few more things happen here. B-15 is looking for her friend C-20. I guess they had some kind of friendship. And she's informed that C-20 is dead, that it was because she had lost her mind so fully that eventually died from her, this trauma that she received due to Sophie getting, going into her mind. But B-15 seems suspicious that this is not true. And this will be important as the play, episode plays on. As we suspected before, like I mentioned, that the episode basically uh, their escape i should say is because owen wilson's character mobius and uh, the team show up portals open and then we actually cut away so we don't actually see it but i assume it was a very quick escape considering there was really no way out they were literally about to die and we see them back at tva they're collared now they're captured and they split them up and we have some of that great banter at this point between tom hiddleston and owen wilson well well, what? I know you got some quip you're dying to say. Oh, I don't have a quip. I've got nothing to say to you. Ah, come on. By the way, I should have an equal amount of security. This is insulting. You just can't help yourself. You betrayed me. You betrayed me. Oh, grow up. Grow up. You know, it occurred to me that you're not really the god of mischief. Oh, here it comes. The folksy, dopey insult from the folksy dope. What am I, the god of self-sabotage, huh? The god of backstabbing? He's kind of an asshole. And a bad friend. And Loki, our Loki, his punishment is to be stuck into a time loop. A time loop when I believe it's his sister, I believe it's his sister, that he cut off her hair just to be mischievous when he was younger. And uh, she basically comes in and kicks him repeatedly, many times, punches him and kicks him over and over and over again. And this is his torture. And at first he like laughs at this like, oh, how petty is this? But after a period of time, it does start to wear on him to say the least. Then we see Mobius with Ravona. And you see that there is a emotional connection between these characters, even from her side, obviously from his side, but even from her side, uh, which is kind of surprising considering what will happen later, which I won't yet spoil. They seem to have a legitimate conversation. She gives him a good explanation for why she doesn't want him to speak to Sophie, the Sophie variant. And it's a totally believable explanation that she's trying to protect him and their friendship because she worries about his well-being and it seems to placate him however that's all a ruse mobius seems to be more like loki than we or i should say we suspected that there was a little bond there between the two of them and maybe in a previous life he was a little more of a trickster himself and when she's distracted he takes her device i don't know what these devices are called the their time devices that they wear and he swaps hers for his because he wants to get into the restricted part of the database. So obviously his suspicions turn out to be legitimized by the fact that he goes and with the device in hand, goes to the library, finds a, a little private place. And when he searches for C20 in the database, he does find that she is deceased. But the recording, their last recording before she's um, pruned from the timeline, has her saying that she knew the truth, that she had seen the past. She knew that she had lived on Earth. She knew that she had friends. She had a life and that she had been, she was just a variant. So now she knew. She knew what Sophie wanted her to know and what Sophie already knows, which is that they are all variants, uh, the, the employees of the TVA. So this is a revelation for Owen Wilson and it motivates him. But he's not the only one who's suspicious. 
And uh, once again, the catalyst for all this is C20. And in the case of B15, it is Hunter B15. It is her friendship with C20. She goes and visits Sophie. And what she reveals at that point is that when Sophie was in her mind, that she had seen, that Sophie had basically, this is something that Ray had speculated on, that when Sophie's in their minds, that she is basically communicating with them. And she can create events, she can walk through their history, she can unlock memories within their minds. So B-15 opens a portal, they exit to the same location where they encountered each other the first time, which of course is probably where she would have access to, which is the, um, the Walmart-like warehouse that we saw in episode two. And while they're there, she basically says, explain to me what I saw in my mind. And she, Sophie basically explains to her exactly what she already suspects. And she goes into her mind again. She says, show me more. She holds her, grabs her arm. We see like that green power surge in her, at her temple. And we don't see what she sees, but apparently she sees enough to convince her of what is actually happening. And then they return back to the TVA. And at that point, a bunch of things start to happen all at the same time. Ravona realizes Mobius has stolen the device, her device, and that he now knows the truth. In an earlier scene, which I didn't mention, actually after that very funny sequence where um, Loki and Mobius are t alone together, Mobius tries to just shut down Loki completely. But this is also, this is once again, he's already suspicious, but this is just adding to that suspicion um, that Loki tells him, no, it's true. You had a life before this and they're lying to you. <clears throat> Even though he like shuts down Loki, he's very mad at Loki at that moment. That is the impetus that gets us to where we are now, right? Where he goes, he steals Rona's device. He sees the interview with C20. And of course, that all leads to this culmination point where Ravona realizes that Mobius knows. She also realizes that B-15 is compromised. And she realizes that Sophie's dangerous. And at this point, it's time to go see the timekeepers. But before then, unfortunately, during this confrontation, as these characters are all coming together, she has Mobius pruned. And this is very upsetting to Loki. It's very upsetting to us, too, by the way. I found that very sad. I'm like, I hope Owen Wilson comes back to this show. And it's possible he may. And we'll get to that when we get to the bonus scene. But at this moment, he's been pruned. He's gone. And that's very traumatic to Loki, like I mentioned. Ravona goes into the elevator with Sophie and Loki. And she goes at it by herself. It's a little strange that she abandons all of the other guards. But it does make sense to some extent. First of all, they probably don't want to show at, you know, whatever these timekeepers are. And we're, we're going to get to that very soon now. To the general public, she may not be able to trust everybody because she doesn't know how widespread this truth has gotten within the soldiers themselves. But it still seems weird that she's in the elevator by herself with these um with the Lokis, which seems like a big risk. But the Lokis don't do anything because I guess they just, first of all, they probably want to meet the timekeepers. Second of all, they probably know that Ravona can probably handle herself enough to, with the with them being collared, she could just rewind them as many times as she wants. So it's probably futile and they probably understand that. But to my previous point, when we see her enter the chamber at the beginning of the episode, she is alone also. So maybe she's the only one who's allowed to have access to this room. So they enter the room, they get to the top of the elevator, we finally exit that elevator, and we see in full, we kind of had it teased earlier in the episode, we saw just like kind of glowing eyes on thrones, and Ravona seems very sh shaken when she returns from her earlier meeting, earlier in the episode, when she speaks to Mobius about it. So now we have Ravona and the Lokis there in front of the timekeepers, 
the timekeepers start to question the Lokis, thinking, you know, is there, do you think you can somehow undo this? Or, you know, basically just kind of bad guy chatter. <laughs> when suddenly B-15 enters, she removes their collars, unlocks them remotely with some kind of device. Their collars fall, and then they start to attack. The Lokis, that is. The Lokis start to attack or attempt to attack the timekeepers. But there are some Minutemen there as well. So we have like a very Buffy the Vampire Slayer type kicking and punching uh, sequence. Ravona, by the end, not surprisingly, when we get to the end, we have Ravona uh, survives. The Lokis survive. They knock out Ravona. You got to always kill them. <laughs> always kill them, people. Don't let them, uh, don't just knock them out. Uh, Ravona gets knocked out. And the Lokis have a hard heart. Loki seems like he's just about to admit to Sophie that he's fallen in love with her. I think that's what he's about to say. And all the indications are of this. When we said that giant spike, and also, by the way, <laughs> Owen Wilson calls him out on this directly. Mobius calls him out on this directly in an earlier scene where he says, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Of all the things, you, f you fell in love with, your, with a variant of yourself? Like, how narcissistic can you be? This is very, very funny, by the way, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, and I liked, I really liked that. And I forgot to call it out earlier. But they do have that during their um, this scene. Maybe the best scene in the show. Actually, no, there's quite a few good scenes in the show, so I won't say that. Uh, but the scene they have together uh, is very good. And a lot of really funny things happen there. Uh, and some serious things happen, too, right? When, as far as uh, Loki getting angry and finally revealing to, to Mobius that the rea the truth so during that fight sequence like i mentioned ravona survives the loki survive and everyone else is either dead or debilitated uh sophie takes her that opportunity to throw her sword through the air and kill one of the timekeepers which turns out she didn't kill anything because the head comes tumbling down and it's simply an animatronic so literally a puppet that's being puppeteered by somebody and so that's the big mystery well i'll leave that for the very end but ravona of course is not dead she's just been knocked out and she prunes loki she kills loki which is a shocking moment but sophie takes that opportunity to then disarm ravona and angrily tells her that you have to tell me everything so we have a situation now at the moment at the end of the episode we have this cliffhanger moment where what does ravona know and what does it mean to the storyline in general and we're definitely going to find that out in the next episode so that's the episode proper. There is a bonus scene, which I'm going to tell you now about. And it's a very strange one. And maybe Ray will have more insight into this from the comic book perspective. But Loki, who's been pruned, I assume is dead at this point. Um, and that's what we assume. These people are being killed when they get pruned. But maybe that's not the case now that we are in this other uh, part of the universe. But we see Loki wake up and Loki asks, am I in hell? And someone says, no, it's Richard E. Grant, by the way, British actor, very entertaining actor. Uh, and he says, no, and he goes, am I dead? And he says, not yet. But he looks up to see who's speaking to him. And these are all other Loki variants. I mean, I think as a matter of fact, I think there's a reptile, <laughs> Loki there. There's a boy, Loki. There's Richard E. Grant. But they all have their Loki horns on, their helmets, which I guess is just a shorthand for knowing that they're variants of Loki. So these are where all the Loki variants that have been pruned previously have ended up. Now, is this where everybody goes when they get pruned? Here's where I'm going to start speculating on what's happening next. So first of all, when people get pruned, do they die or do they go into some netherworld? Or are they resuscitated? Like, for example, are all these people who are inside the TVA, were they pruned at some point? And then 
resurrected again the same people brought back so maybe the pruning doesn't actually kill them it just basically resets them in some way or sends them somewhere where they can be reset so possibly that is my first question as like what is the actual mechanism of this pruning or alternately do the Lokis because of some magic or something can they preserve themselves but everybody else is truly dead so I'm curious to know is this happening just to the Lokis or is like for example there are C20s out there right who are all pruned together and they're uh, in some uh, pocket universe of some kind so uh, I don't know. And uh, so I'm curious to understand more about this mechanism of the pruning and where the people go after that. So Owen Wilson theoretically wouldn't be dead either. And I'm pretty sure he's not. I think he's going to come back in one way or another, whether we use this, you know, there's some pruning uh, world that uh, the pruned, <laughs> the world of the pruned where they can return from. Or if this is simply going to be, you know, if we go back in time it, within the TVA, if that's possible, then you can go back to a point where he was still alive or just an alternate timeline when he was still alive. So that's my first question. What's up at the end there? Like, what is that? Like, where is he? Is this just him that has this ability to survive this pruning? Or is this just general? Like, is the TVA just putting people on the back burner so they can reuse them later? I don't know, right? So we'll see. The next question I have uh, is, um, oh, it's just a point, uh, which I find funny, which is, you know, this whole idea that, you know, you have these Loki variants falling in love with each other. And it not only find it kind of funny, it's like kind of the definition of narcissism, I guess, uh, but also maybe think about like, what is a variant anyway, right? And that this is something that I just started thinking about today. And maybe it, be, it kind of slides into a philosophical or even theological conversation. But I'm just curious to know, like, what is this variant? Like, how are they defining these variants? Because originally, based on what we saw in the Marvel movies, obviously, when we see a variant of Loki within the mcu the movies we've seen up until now a loki is just the same person in other words the same dna the same history but in different timeline right we have loki escaping in 2012 we have loki dying in 2018 whenever that movie came out uh in endgame so we see these two different versions of loki but they're the same Loki, just in different points in time. So that was the first concept of a variant, just somebody who had escaped their timeline. But now we see, and we saw it earlier on, Loki in a different form, a different physical form. Uh, not a, only a different age, but potentially like a different species of Loki in some of those flashes we saw uh, of the variants that they've captured in the, previously. Uh, and of course, we have... Uh, a female Loki here versus a male Loki, but their hair color is different and everything else. So it's not even just like a, you know, roll of the dice on your X or Y chromosome. It is a legitimately different person who's also Asgardian, so has a lot of those commonalities. But that basically takes me back to that original point of like, what is even a variant in this universe? Is it, and Ray kind of suspected this, is it like the, the spirit of the person that theoretically you literally have a soul that is inhabiting a different body that's one possibility uh, or is it something more historical like almost like a buddhist idea of that if one person is not a stepping stone in history like you see connection from stone to stone if that then it'll be placed by somebody else so that you are in a way reincarnated but reincarnated because you serve the same purpose that the other uh, version would serve so is that what we're talking about? We're not talking about an actual, you know, it's not about your DNA. It's not about your quote unquote soul. It's about the, the, um, the, the role you fill in your life. 
So anyway, I'm very curious about this. And I don't know if they're going to be able to address this because that's probably way too big. <laughs> and maybe this is just something they want us to just uh, bypass. But I would be very interested to understand what their definition of a variant is because I think that would almost give the film or the series a philosophical perspective. And if they're going to have all these multiverses with all these different characters of different types. And by the way, if you've already seen the Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse uh movie which you really should watch it's truly excellent you see that those variants of spider-man are truly different although <clears throat> that raises the same questions to me because when you see spider gwen for example it's not to say that she is in her uh, dna uh, a variant of spider-man she is simply the spider-man of her universe because she fills that role she is the crime fighter who has these abilities in that universe but she's not the same character and then that raises the question of are we talking about the same thing here with these loki's in other words it's not biological at all it's purely you know happenstance it's like are do you feel are you filling this role in your history and that's interesting because then it makes people it creates a commonality between characters in uh that are based purely on their actions basically or the role they they filled Anyway, I find that very interesting. <laughs> and that's quite a digression there. So hopefully it was interesting to you as well. So, right. So in practical terms, where are we as far as what happens when you get pruned? Will these people come back? I think they will. Is what's happening to Loki right now in this uh, alternate reality he's in, is that happening just to him or does that happen to all the variants? So can he like recall these other variants to basically become an army to fight this? What is a variant anyway? That's a much bigger question, like I mentioned. And of course, the biggest question I have is what is actually going on with the TVA? Who is actually puppeteering these, these characters? Everybody obviously believes that, that these were the timekeepers. Did Ravona believe this too? Or is Ravona or, or are they, this, the, the very TVA, are they somewhere else pulling the strings and no one sees them? So we don't even know. Like Ravona might be following the rules on blind faith or is Ravona working with somebody else did someone else already hijack the TVA have they is someone else physically pulling like for example were the TVA these three characters as we see them here but they've been replaced with these animatronics because they were destroyed they were killed or, or captured maybe killed but captured and they are uh, now being puppeteered by somebody else so someone is pretending to be them to pull these strings and Ravona knows about it because when Ravona sees that the uh, creatures die whether they are behind the scenes this is like the wizard of oz whether there is a wizard of oz who is this these characters but they're simply hiding because they're you know it's just another layer of protection or is there someone completely different and ray has suspected this for a while now who's actually puppeteering the tva the last question i have and maybe the most one i'm most curious about why are they letting the Lokis live. There were so many times they could have pruned these two Lokis. They know they're obviously a huge threat. When they're together, you see this giant spike on the timeline. So whoever is pulling the strings could have easily had them eradicated. When they, Instead of locking them up and having them interviewed multiple times, they could have simply pruned them and that would have been it. So my question is that whoever the powers that be are, do have they not been trying to kill all the Lokis? But have they been trying to unite these two Lokis to unravel the TVA? So is this all a much, much bigger heist, in a way, of these uh, people manipulating the Lokis? And they know they couldn't just ask them to do it. They needed 
just as Loki has proven multiple times in his in our relationship with him through, throughout these movies, he needs to be manipulated. He needs to feel like he's in control, even if he's being manipulated. So is all of this a manipulation? So is somebody trying to take down the TVA or create some new timeline? And this is the mechanism to do it. So that's what I'm curious about. And uh, I'm very curious to know how it turns out. And I feel like there are going to be interesting answers to this question. That's basically my, my, my general opinion. I think these are going to have some good payoffs to this. And I think it's also going to tie into the broader Marvel Comics universe, the MCU movies, uh, the mythology that they're building. I think it's going to be pertinent to what happens next. So that's where I'm at. I'm very interested to see all of that. And that is the end of my reviews of this Loki episode. Very excited to see the next one. This is hell. Am I dead? Not yet. But you will be, unless you come with us. So I did mention I was going to use this time here to, since I'm watching uh, Rick and Morty again, I did want to use this time here to also discuss that. So I'm not even going to include, I mean, there's very little spoilers for Rick and Morty, I think, in general, considering they can reset the story <laughs> at any moment. But I will um, just kind of give you my mini review of the Rick and Morty episode. I loved the season premiere last week. I thought it was one of their strongest episodes. I love this. The I guess I... I, I I gravitate to the episodes of Rick and Morty where I enjoy the ideas that they're playing with. And those are the ones that I, I like the best. And um, in this particular case, what happened uh, in last week's episode with this kind of uh, idea of how history rewrites itself over time and the, the illustration of it I thought was incredibly clever. Plus, there were just some incredible jokes in there. Mr. Nimbus was such a great new character. And, of course, the concepts were so strong. I really enjoyed it. In this episode, the big idea is not as interesting to me, or maybe where they take it is not as interesting to me. But basically, the idea is we see in the opening scenes of the episode that the base that the entire family is <laughs> is exterminated by some squid or octopus-like space aliens, uh, and what we find out pretty quickly because we see that another family gets an alert, and what it is is that they have made clones of themselves and those clones are decoys that are supposed to draw out these potential villains and then of course the originals quote unquote who made those clones were notified of their extermination they're like oh time to put up our barriers or you know go, go to high alert because they're coming for us next and the joke basically infinitely in this episode over and over and over again is that Clones made clones, but then those clones believed that they had to be true. They, they, they believed that they were the originals because that was part of the cloning process. Rick made them believe that they were the originals. And of course, a Rick who believed he was the original would come up with the same plan and therefore make more clones and therefore make more clones and therefore make more, more clones. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And there are layers upon layers upon layers of clones. And what we see is a massive war all over the world 
that um, where the oh and even the uh, space aliens, these octopus aliens, are simply other clones in disguise. So they are now the some clones have figured out that they are clones, and they realize that the only thing they can do is to go and kill their originals before they are exterminated by the originals because the originals know that they are clones and they're theoretically the only ones who know that they are clones but since nobody knows who's a clone and who's the original it be starts a cascade of uh, uh of death <laughs> so they are like just killing themselves up it's this kill chain and they're going up and up and up and up and, and until it's like a, a a um and honestly this is one of those rick and morty episodes that is much funnier to discuss in these contexts than to actually watch it just play out over and over and over again there are a lot of really funny throwaway gags like for example that as they keep cloning each other the copies get worse and worse and worse and uh, actually the title here by the way is called multiplicity which is there's always some kind of movie reference in the title and it's a reference to michael keaton's flop movie by the way not a successful movie from the 1990s maybe early 90s called the multiplicity where he's cloning himself and as the clones clones clone themselves etc they become kind of like dopier and dopier and like not as intelligent and whatever so there's a lot of jokes about that in that movie which once again not a very good movie by the way but that is the reference point here and um uh in this multiplicity episode uh they are continuously uh, copying themselves and you see that they, they have they're, they're made out of straw they're made out of uh, oh they're like wood puppets so they're just degrading in quality over generation over generation and uh, at one point they look like muppets although that turns out to be just a costume but it's kind of funny to you know that they want to make themselves too cute to be killed by somebody else so all these things and and basically we see all these interactions between all the characters that feel completely legitimate to uh, the characters we know, but it's to say that, well, yeah, if they're clones, then they would behave the same way. And then, uh, so we have no idea of knowing who is real and who's not, and they don't either. Um, so honestly, all of this is much funnier to talk about than to actually watch. And uh, it's perfectly encapsulated, by the way. It's almost very hard to uh, make fun of the show because they're so good at critiquing themselves. But at one point, the president is being informed of what's happening. They're like, what's happening? Why are we being invaded by space aliens? And they're like, oh, it's not. It's all these cloned uh, uh, Ricks that are all killing each other off. And uh, the president goes, oh, sounds tedious, <laughs> which is hilarious. But uh, but honestly, that's how I kind of felt watching the show, right? I was like, okay, okay. I got I got the joke in the first five minutes, and then we have to watch more of it for um, another 25 minutes. But uh, anyway, so my mini review here is that conceptually, this is very interesting. But uh, in execution, it's a little bit tedious, and they are fully aware of the fact that it is a little bit tedious. But it is still worth watching. It's definitely worth watching. And like I said, this is kind of my <clears throat> my relationship with Rick and Morty in general. This is why I keep going back to it is because sometimes I'm like, this is a little tedious. This is a little too much, you know, with, with the gore and stuff like that. So some days I'm like, okay. I recommend this, but with a caveat, but I keep coming back because every once in a while, they give you a truly, truly remarkable uh, episode, and those are always worth uh, coming in for, and even an episode like this, which I would say this is like middle tier, you know, it's not as bad as some of their worst, but definitely not as, you know, not, not as high as their highs, this is somewhere in the middle, even an episode like this is definitely entertaining, and like I said, to talk about it, is just remembering it, like the, the little gags in there, because there's so many gags, it's gags, it's so dense with gags, that just remembering some of those is very, very entertaining. And it makes it almost worthwhile just for that. 
So that's my review of uh, Rick and Morty. And uh, I'll keep watching it. I'm enjoying it. And I'm going to keep watching it. Like I said, this is middle tier for me. This is not as high. Like the last week's episode was probably top 25%. This is definitely right in the middle. It's not, like I said, not unwatchable. And there's few of those, by the way. There's a handful that are really not good at all. But this one's right in the middle. Solid. Has some funny ideas. Um, hundreds of gags. Hundreds of gags of them killing each other off. Some of those gags hit. Some of them don't. But that's the Rick and Morty humor, right? It's like if you have 100, 200 jokes in an episode, hey, even if you get 50% of them right, you still got a lot of good jokes, right? And that's kind of where we're at with this one. Uh, what else to look forward to coming up? We obviously have two more episodes of Loki. Sometime next week, I'll definitely be dropping a review of The Tomorrow War. So MCU adjacent, there is a movie coming out called The Tomorrow War. It looks very expensive. It's going to Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime paid, I don't know, like almost $200 million for this movie, something like that. And it's going straight to Amazon Prime. It's playing this weekend, this 4th of July weekend. I will be watching it. I will be on vacation. I'll be away from home. But I will make time to record a mini review whether the movie's good or bad, I've heard no reviews for it at all, but I am curious to see, A, Chris Pratt. I do like Chris Pratt. I find him very charming. I don't know if he has the range to kind of break out from the roles he's already uh, established himself in, but I am curious, so that's one thing. Second of all, I've seen the preview. A very expensive movie. An interesting concept, right? So kind of in the wheelhouse of time travel, right? We're talking about Rick and Morty with their time uh, travel uh, episodes. We're talking about Loki with all its time travel and this is another time travel story. We have the future recruiting people from the present to go travel into the future to fight against some kind of alien invasion. So it feels a little bit like Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow, I should say. It has elements of the War of the Worlds, the most recent War of the Worlds movie, uh, in, especially visually. So it, it could just be a mashup of all these things and not very good. I suspect, honestly, it's not going to be that good. But I am curious. I'm curious to know. I want to see if Chris Pratt can invent another uh, or inhabit another character that's as likable as some of the other ones that he has. I'm curious to see, you know, Amazon making this massive investment in a giant blockbuster and whether that's going to pay out, pay off. And uh, we will have more bonus content coming up. We have the Black Widow movie coming out next week. And uh, the reviews, early reviews have been mixed but mostly positive. So I am curious to see that. It might be a little... My personal opinion is it's a little late for a Black Widow movie. This movie should have come out many years ago. I mean, I'm not going to spoil the Avengers movies, but it seems a weird time to be really... Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> seems a weird time to be releasing a movie about her. Let's just say that. Um, and um, so I'm curious to see that, and there will be some review of that. Uh, hopefully, uh, Ray and I both can participate in that conversation. I'm sure he's going to go see it with his son or his children in general. Uh, my daughter's still too young for that, I think, but we will. I might see it in the theater. I might watch it on Disney Plus. You can do it either way. You can watch. You can pay for it on Disney Plus or pay for it in a theater. Probably cost the same if you go two people to a movie theater, or you buy thirty dollars to watch it at home. It's probably the same amount of money. There's something to be said about watching a movie, a big movie like that, in the movie theater. I saw Endgame in a movie theater. And that audience was electric. They were so fired up for that movie. It was one of the most enjoyable times I had in the theater. So there's still something to be said for seeing a movie 
where you have a lot of people who are fans of what they're watching, whether it be a comic book movie, whether it be a comedy or a horror movie. I think horror movies and comedies give you give you a better movie theater experience rather than watching like a drama, something very personal. It's probably okay to watch it at home, my opinion. So stay tuned. Uh, lots of content coming. We will be reviewing another episode of Evil and just talking about other TV shows that we might be watching and enjoying, Sona and I, and that will should be out on Sunday or Monday. I will be recording some bonus content and a deeper dive into this um, episode of Loki. And I think that that will be valuable, by the way. I believe that that will be valuable because... I think that there is going to be some comic book lore that he's already brought up that I haven't even researched that much, but I do think he was right about Ravona and the, a broader conspiracy. So I'm definitely going to ask him about that this week, and I think that is going to be important. And, of course, more music. So music of 1971 this weekend and probably for the foreseeable future. Not necessarily just talking about that documentary, but talking about the artists from that time and then using that as a springboard to talk about genres that began reggae started. I mean... Bob Marley put out his first record that year. Uh, and of course, the Beatles broke up. And then we can just talk about like what happened in the vacuum of the Beatles. What did that lead to as far as maybe that was part of the splintering of genres? So we'll have that conversation and it will continue from week to week. And uh, once again, subscribe so you know when those episodes are available. And definitely give us a, a uh, definitely reach out to us. You can just email needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And we will get back to you right away. We definitely respond. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Take care. Talk to you soon. Shall I catch you?